down before him. Kneel down before him. Worship and adore him. Worship and adore him. Come on, say it again. Come. Come. Let us. Come, let us adore him. Kneel down before him. Kneel down before him. In your presence, Lord, worship. Great Little Zion Baptist Church, we celebrate your presence here today with us. Enjoy the worship service as you sit back and listen to the singing as it gives inspiration to your soul and then the preaching of the word of God as it gives instruction to your soul. Be blessed as God has a word for you today. Good morning, Zion. Wherever you are, we need you to stand on up and come help us celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Enjoy the word. Let's go, y'all.
here, but we're gonna praise God right now for what he's done in our lives. Right here in Zion. The outro. Y'all gonna sing to the heavens for us, right? Happy holidays to you all. Here are our weekly announcements. Make sure to sign up for a Christmas basket by this Tuesday, December the 16th. Our food distribution drive will be on Saturday, December the 19th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. The pickup location will be at Zion. To sign up for a basket, make sure to either call, email, use the QR code, and provide your name, phone number, email, and family size. Save the date on your calendar from Monday, December the 21st at 7.30 p.m. for our virtual quarterly church meeting. To attend, please RSVP to the admin office. On Wednesday night, we'll be having prayer meeting at 6 p.m. and our virtual adult Bible study at 7.30 p.m. Tune in to us on the weekends for our Sunday schools, our youth and young adult Sunday school on Saturday at 10 a.m. and our adult Sunday school at Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Every Sunday, make sure to join us on YouTube and Facebook for our live sermons. And during the week, follow us on Facebook and Instagram for any of our updates and also some words of inspiration. Thank you for joining us, and we are so blessed to have you this Sunday.
morning, greater little Zion. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad within it. If you would, take your Bibles and join me, if you will, please, in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And we're going to read verses 16 through 24. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. As we continue our journey under the general title of the sermon series, Living Life Out Loud with Joy, today's sermon is entitled, It's Your Joy. It's Your Joy. And again, we'll be launching from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, and beginning at verse 16. And here's what it says. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples ask each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I'm going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your requests because you use my name. You haven't done that before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Once again, our sermon title today is It's Your Joy. It's your joy. There is something life-changing around the principal meaning of the first-person pronoun, I and my, in its singular form. Although it's not limited to people, but certainly meaningful when it comes to the idea of personal possessions in life. There's nothing wrong with the second person you or the third person he, she, it, or they. But the possessive form of I and my indicates that a relationship of strict ownership is at hand. The singular of the matter seems to empower the idea of possession personally. You can hear my point as it's used throughout some of the old hymns that we have sung in the past and we continue to sing and I believe 
we shall continue to sing even in the future. But listen to some of the lyrics of those great hymns. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Listen to this hymn. My hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. I have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Though no one joined me, still I will follow. In each of those songs, there is this personal possession by the speaker who is conveying to the audience that this is my conviction, this is my possession in terms of relationship with Jesus Christ, this is the joy that illuminates in my heart and in my mind and in my life because I've taken personal responsibility for advocating it's mine, it is I, it's my joy in this context. That speaker again identifies that in that personal possession it's spoken with power, but it also is the conveyance of a state of realism. It's an articulation of speaking emphatically that I refuse to accept anything less than my determined interest to lay claim on the idea and the practice of conquering. I am, I will, I shall, I must point to one's decisive focus to see it through. No matter what the challenge, no matter what the state of existence, no matter what the circumstance to which they find themselves, I am, I will see it through because I have a personal determinative focus to take possession because I want it. Once again, this is about a mindset that decisively grows bit by bit until the objective of the focus is brought into subjection. This is the principal perspective that Paul lives for us in his letter in 1 Corinthians 9. In fact, I want us to read 1 Corinthians 9 and then look closely at verse 24, 25, and 26 but primarily at 27. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 9 and beginning in verse 24. Do you not realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run well, says Paul. Focus 
be determined to possess the run. All athletes are disciplined in their training. All athletes know that in order to at least have a shot at winning the prize, one has to decisively decide in their mind and spirit as well as train their body that I must be competitive, I must be determined, and I must have the idea of conquering no matter what it is. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, says Paul, in this earthly realm, in the acquisition of running as an athlete, the prize that you acquire only has temporal glory. It will fade away, says Paul. But we, as Christians, are running for an eternal prize. So here's what he says, verse 26. So I run with purpose in every step. Because I'm going to advocate that Paul is suggesting every step I take is not going to be deterred because of the pain or the struggle or the heartache in making the step, but the joy that I'm going to receive when I cross the finish line of victory. That's what I came to tell you today, that never give up or give in because the pain of trying to achieve or trying to get victory is difficult and it's a struggle, but you have got to depend on the joy of the Lord as your strength that will enable you to be able to persevere in this thing. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing. What a metaphor. I'm not just throwing my hands in the air with no aim or objective at all. But he says, I got to focus. He says in verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Because he knows that if I put in the work, there's a reward that will come to me in the end. Now watch what he says in closing verse 27. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I'm reading from the New Living Translations and I purposely picked that because I think Paul simplifies what I'm trying to say. I'm going to work as hard as I can and be focused at making sure that one of my objectives is to maintain joy in the process. And I'm not going to let anything rob me of my joy. Listen to how Paul actually states his possession of conquering as a destiny. Listen to what he says again. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training it. Otherwise, I fear I myself might be disqualified. See what he's doing? He's focusing on himself but recognizing it's important that I maintain what I need to be successful in running life's glorious race. Translation, that's personal possession in that grammatical principle. Paul is turning that 
for us and Jesus is going to convey it to us as a personal possession of your joy. It's your joy, says Jesus. It's your joy, says Paul. And then I think they are interrogating our spirit with this question. If you don't own it, who will? Jesus knew that his disciples lacked this personal possession of joy. He knew the disciples suffered from weakness and sought to help them identify it and confront it at the same time. Not run away, not hide, although they weren't very successful at following through on what Jesus was attempting to do, but yet the message is clear to us. Don't run away, but instead confront whatever the weakness is, stand there and handle it because it will bring you joy. He makes these statements in the Gospel of John chapter 16 that stirs up their grasping of the power of their personal joy. He states with a realistic statement these words in verse 16. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But in a little while after that, you will see me again. That's a realism statement that takes into account the frailty of the disciples and even likewise the frailty that exist in you and I. Notice two things. In the book of Acts, as well as in the epistles, even after the resurrection of Jesus and the confirmation of, of his victory by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the disciples are still frail. They still suffered from a sense of brokenness and permitted their joy to exit from their state. Notice the second thing. The realism was about the disciples who were walking with Jesus as he made his way, according to Matthew 26, toward the garden of Gethsemane, that place of agony. And Jesus is trying to tell them that you are going to need something more to survive than what you merely see. I like that because Jesus is suggesting that I want you to learn to look inwardly instead of depending on your strength to come outwardly from someplace externally, but you're going to need something more powerful, more firm, more stronger, more foundational that's going to come from the inside. And listen to verse 17 through 19, they didn't get it. The text says they kept asking themselves the question, what, what does he mean by this? What does it mean by we, in a little while, we're, gonna, we're not going to see him, and then in a little while after that, we're going to see him? What, what exactly is he trying to say to us? He's really trying to say in an indirect way, circumstances can't be the dictator of your joy because it's about to get painful on this journey. As they make their way toward the Garden of Gethsemane, things are about to get ugly. And Jesus is saying, in life's journey, 
you cannot allow the ugliness that you see along the path to cipher out of you the joy of the Lord within you. But you've got to find the fortitude and the strength to permit that joy to stay alive on the inside of you. So here's what I want to suggest that Jesus may very well be saying to us as well. A, embrace joy by choice and ground your hope in Christ. Where did I get that from? Let's back up and go back to verse 14 and listen to what Jesus said to the disciples. He references the one person who will keep your joy alive and active if you permit him to do so by your choice. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. He spends an incredible amount of time in this 15th chapter as well as the 16th chapter making them aware that as he leaves, he has to go. The physical presence that they have become accustomed to is going to disappear. That's what he meant. And yet, they're going to see him again, but there is something more permanent, someone more permanent who can dwell in their hearts that will be with them in handling these dark moments. Listen to what he says in verse 14 of chapter 16 of the Gospel of John. In referring to the Holy Spirit, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Here's what he's saying. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will tell you all the things that I will tell him to tell you and that joy that you will need will plainly be articulated if you allow it to be so by choice. Look what he says in verse 15. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. That's why I want to suggest that Jesus is saying embrace joy by choice because in the midst of it, God going to bring you, God wants to bring you, God will bring you joy to help you maintain through the storm. And he wants you to anchor your hope in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit will remind you to do. There's a second thing I think that there may be brewing up here that the text might suggest, and that is stop looking for joy in temporal circumstances and find it in the eternal Savior. Look what he says to us in verse 16 again. He says to the disciples, a little while, you won't see me anymore, but in a little while after that, you're going to see me again. There's the promise that physically I won't be here but physically, I'm coming back again. But in the meantime, I'm still going to be with you. That's joyful for us to remember that we can't find joy in the temporal, whatever that circumstance is, but our joy must come from trusting in the eternal Savior 
who supplies the glory and who, who supplies the strength and who supplies the energy and the wherewithal, whatever is needed to persevere in the midst of the moment. Why is he centralizing on this? Because he needs the disciples as well as you and I to take possession of our personal joy in this situation. Now, I'm mentioning this issue of persecution of trial because there's a third lesson in here, I think. And the third lesson is we need to be prepared to find joy on the road of sorrow and disappointment. Listen to what he says in verse 17. He says to the disciples, he says to them, uh, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I'm going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand to the disciples. Watch his response in verse 19. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, are you asking yourself what I meant? I said, in a little while, you won't see me, but in a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. Crucifixion. They're going to eyewitness the assault of Jesus, the betrayal of Jesus. They're going to witness something to happen to their Savior that they never anticipated. In fact, they won't even understand what's going on. Listen to what he says. You're going to see that, and it's going to make you weep and mourn. Translation, we're going to witness a lot of things in life's journey that will make us weep and mourn. That'll be difficult, hard to process. But listen to what Jesus said. He says to them, but the world will rejoice because they won't have the compassion or the sympathy to be able to identify with pain predicaments of people. But watch what he says. You will grieve, but your, joy, your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Listen to what he says. In sorrow... In the disappointment, you will find joy. You will find the strength to celebrate while others continue to mourn. That's the reason why right now when things happen and you continue to give God glory and praise, you have your own moment in which that mourning is evident, but at the same time, outwardly, you permit that joy to radiate. Why? Because God is turning your sorrow into joy. And I like the way the New Living Translation said, wonderful joy. Now listen to what he says further. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy, gives way to joy. Her anguish her pain, her labor pain gives way to joy because she has brought a new creation into the world. That's why I'm trying to tell you 
anguish and pain can very much have valuable lessons, but they also can have steps that lead to progress, that leads to victory. Once again, it's how you see them and permit your mind to comprehend them. How your internal man works at seeing what's going on externally. And I'm trying to encourage you, don't let the circumstance, says Jesus, dictate how your joy will be celebrated. Because if you persevere and celebrate in the midst of it, as a woman gives way in her anguish, in the pain, to the wonderful joy because of the birth of new creation, so God will help us birth the newness of life through the midst of a painful moment. Listen to what he says. She's brought a new child into the world, so you have sorrow now, the disciples. But I'm going to see you again. Then you will rejoice, and here it is, and no one can rob you of that joy. That leads to the fourth thing I think that Jesus may suggest, and that is, the joy you find in Christ through the Holy Spirit is irreplaceable and irrevocable. Nothing can replace the joy of the Lord and nothing can revoke God from giving you his joy. That's the reason why he makes it clear that when you push through, you will end up finding out how your joy can stand the test of all times. And it will be continuous. So listen to what he says in the final of verse 23 and 24. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you ask the Father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. See, that's the joy of knowing who Christ is and having your joy anchored in him, it's a name. A name that brings about victory and power and the overcoming ability to persevere. And here's what he says. When you will be able to go directly to the Father and ask him whatever in my name because you've never done this before because I've always been here. Look at verse 24. But when I'm gone, you can ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. It's your joy. So here's the three points I want you to take away from this sermon. Number one, when we talk about this joy, and it's your joy, expect joy. Expect joy. When you wake up in the morning, sit there for a moment and just reminisce on something good that God has done or reminisce on something that God has done to bring you through what should have been negative, what should have been defeating, what should have been detrimental. Instead, here you are, still able to celebrate 
with great joy because you expect joy. Through the course of the day, expect joy. No matter what the circumstance lends to you, see joy in the midst of it. No matter what it is. Here's another statement that Jesus told the disciples later. In this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. Celebrate. Let your joy rise. He finalized it by saying, I have overcome the world and you shall do the same. Get up expecting joy. Go through the day expecting joy. No matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter what people say negatively, expect joy and watch joy come out of you and find your address. Listen to what Jesus said to us in verse 20. He says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me and the world will rejoice. You'll grieve, but your grief will suddenly be turned to wonderful joy. Expect joy in a dark situation. Not only expect joy, but secondly, embrace joy. See, it's one thing to have the expectation but it's another to take possession, to embrace it as it comes your way. He told the disciples, it's like a woman who's going to give birth and she knows that she has to go through labor pains in order to get to the destiny, in order to experience the victory. But she gives way of those labor pains to what's ahead what's about to come to pass. She embraces the joy of seeing that child being born into the world. Embrace the joy that God is placing in your path. No matter how small, embrace it. Embrace it because it will continue to help you stay joyful in the midst of darkness. Expect joy, embrace joy, and then finally, express joy. Listen to what Jesus said to the disciples and he says to us, you can go in verse 23 and 24, you can go directly to the Father, but I want you to express joy when you call on my name. It will be turned into and you will receive great abundant joy because that's what's in the name of Jesus joy that's what some of you are laboring for this morning but express joy with thanksgiving don't be afraid to let someone know that you know that name that is above every name that name that has been with you through sickness, that name that has been with you through some dark days, that name that has kept you, that name that encourages you, that name that strengthens you. Don't allow anyone to quench, says Paul in Ephesians 5, your spirit, but instead let that joy be expressed. And that's one of the things I missed about this virtual worship experience. I can't see people express their joy. And that's one of the things I miss about worship service. 
When we come together, we get a chance to express our joy together. There's nothing like coming together in the worship experience because I get a chance to express the joy. It's a glorious joy that the world not only didn't give, but can't give. And I'm challenging you, and the world really can't take it away because it's your joy. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this moment in which we had to celebrate and to share in this idea of joy, this push from Jesus to those disciples to take possession of their joy and allow it to be both expected, allow it to be embraced, and then allow it to be expressed. Lord, I pray today that someone makes a decision from this day going forward that they will never allow anyone or anything to quiet their spirit, but they're willing to express the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. God, our prayer also is that someone who hears this never met Jesus Christ, today would be the beginning of a new life for them, that they would say within their hearts, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want to be born again. And based on your word from Romans 10, 9, 10, God, they shall be saved. Let that moment happen today. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. That's our prayer today is that someone across the spasm of this worship, this virtual worship experience will receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We also want to rejoice that someone today who's already a believer today will be a new step forward to walking in victory because you're going to take possession of your own joy. And so it's our prayer that if God is working tremendously in your life, let us know. We would love to hear from you so we can celebrate with you. We want you to become a part of this church family, and we want to be your church family as well. We always encourage you and thank you for your continuous support financially of this church and this virtual effort that we're trying to do, so we want to continue to do that. You know how to contact us by way of text giving or by way of e-giving on our church website or by way of your check money order by mail, however you wish to do it, we receive your offering to this church with great thanksgiving. And so we want you to continue to be in joy and celebrate as God bless your life. As I always say, we move from this point as we go to prepare for the coming week. Remember, God loves you and so do I. Hug yourself and have a blessed, wonderful day and week in the Lord. Amen. Come on, say it again. Come. Come. Let us. Come, let us adore him. Kneel down before him. Kneel down before him. In your presence, Lord, worship. Worship and adore him. Help me, sir.